This week's episode is sponsored by Smart Home. Looking to simplify your life? Whether it's planning your week or just remembering where your appointments are, Smart Home can help with that. They provide everything from personal assistants like Google Home or Alexa to automated lighting systems and security cameras like Ring for your home. Their products are affordable, easy to program devices that communicate over your home's existing wiring and over radio frequency signals. That means that your appointments are always remembered and that your house is always safe. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, you can use the discount code NERD10, that's N-E-R-D-1-0, at checkout for 10% off on their website, smarthome.com. You can follow them at Smart Home on Instagram and at Smart Home Inc. on Twitter. Hey everyone, it's Bradley Crosby. You're about to listen to my interview on Pop Nerd Lounge. Welcome to Pop Nerd Lounge, a podcast for the creative soul. I'm your host, Steph Pham. Listener, we are back for season six. A huge thank you for allowing us to continue bringing these insightful chats with fellow artists. For today's conversation with a creative, I speak with Bradley Crosby. He's a steady cam and camera operator with his latest project being my favorite TV show, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Yes, I get to geek out about Zoe's with him and even get some behind the scenes tidbits. We also talk about his journey into camera operating and he delivers some helpful truths that will be useful for aspiring film industry professionals. Please give a warm welcome to my guest, Bradley Crosby. Welcome to Popner and Lounge. My guest today is Bradley Crosby. Bradley, thank you so much for joining me. No, no problem. Do you remember an impactful moment early on that made you fall in love with storytelling? Uh, with storytelling? No, it's kind of something that sort of progressed through my career. Um, there was no, you know, beyond writing stories as a kid and coming up with stuff, but there was no actual point i would say that i fell in love with storytelling it's just something we do out of all the uh, different areas of film what drew you into cinematography it's the typical thing where i always had photography as a hobby as a as a child and growing up as a teenager and i've got boxes and boxes and boxes of photos in my basement and i just enjoy sort of discovering found composition and what was the bridge for you between studying camera work and cinematography and booking your first real industry job? Well, that goes way, way back. Uh, I started working in film 26 years ago, uh, and I always had an interest in photography, so I started in the camera department, and uh, I worked my way up from an apprentice to a second assistant to a first assistant and now to an operator and like you mentioned you had this impressive career that spans over 20 years do you have a favorite project that you've been able to be a part of well there's been a lot of them i think in terms of things that were amazing to work on the first the first kick-ass movie was a lot of fun to work on an enjoyable experience and I was a camera assistant for that and in terms of an operator I really enjoy I really enjoyed working on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist just because of the the challenge and the work environment and the people I was with and uh, in terms of for 
sort of cinematography type things. Uh, the Hannibal TV series was really good. Uh, and I also enjoyed, there's a Netflix series, a smaller Netflix series called Anne with an E that's won a bunch of awards for cinematography. And it was, uh, for me, you know, it was a smaller job, but it was a real pleasure to work on. Uh, and I also like, there's an, another Netflix movie called Shimmer Lake that I worked with, uh, a cinematographer named Jaron Blaschke, who his last thing he just did was the lighthouse. And, uh, that was a lot of fun to work on. Anything that, you know, strives to be creative and do something different or interesting as opposed to just uh, what I call vacuuming up the script, I really enjoy working on. So you mentioned several different projects, and I think the assumption for somebody who's not in the media industry, they kind of assume that camera work is just behind the camera. But go ahead and tell people what are the different areas of the camera department on a film set what can you do if you want to get into cinematography well you know there's two there's a couple different ways to get into cinematography and by i have to clarify that i am not a cinematographer i don't have any aspirations to be a cinematographer uh, i am specifically a camera operator and a steady camera operator so i do the physical act of uh, filming um, as well as sort of coordinating what needs to happen to be able to to actually get the shots, or as a you know as a director works with the cinematographer to think about what the shot should be, how the the overall lighting look should be, and the, the look, and then I coordinate with the cinematographer about what the actual shots are, and then sort of help disseminate that through the crew to get things done. Uh, in terms of the camera department specifically, there's uh, a lot of different levels to the camera department. Um, you know, the, the classic structure from top down would be cinematographer, uh, then operator, then the first assistant, which is also known as the focus puller. Below that is the second assistant, which is also known as the clapper loader. And then there's often a utility position on larger shows where they have to have an extra assistant to be able to just uh, the amount of equipment coming and going. There is a trainee or an apprentice that's pretty universal. Certain parts of the world, the dolly grip, the person that actually moves the camera around on his dolly, are included in the camera department. Um, and there's also, they have different names depending on where you work, but there's the, the DIT or the DMT, which is a digital technician uh, on uh, the digital shows, which would be sort of coordinating the look of the show right there on set. To, so there's a guide to the final look of the show when it's done by the footage. And if it's a film show, often you'll have a film loader and that person spends a lot of the time in a dark room in a truck uh, loading and unloading film. And I spent, uh, I think I spent 10 years doing that uh, back in film days. Something that we're told that everyone needs in the media industry is a reel and I've checked out your reel on your website. How does one choose what to include in your reel and how to make it pop for people to look at it? Well, specifically my reel was just for steady camera to show that I could do it. You know, I put in I put in shots that I felt told a bit of a story that tried to show things that for those in the know were the more difficult things to do to say, you know, I have a certain level of competency to be able to do this. But that reel now on my website is, uh, I think it's gotta be four or five years old. And the issue is now is that it's near impossible for even myself to get 
footage. You know, it used to be able, okay, well, once the show's released on broadcast, you can get a, you'll, you're able to get footage to put a reel together, and that's no longer the case. The, the footage and how, because of piracy and uh, privacy in the streaming service, everything is so closely guarded, and it's, it's a really tough thing to do because when a production's going is when you need to get the footage because as soon as you wrap shooting, you know, that uh, there's no more production to be able to contact and say, I need footage. So it's the sort of thing you have to be able to, as you're shooting, get the footage, which now nobody's really willing to do. So um, it's one of these things that I haven't really put together another reel. I don't have a lot of uh, more current footage of stuff that I've done and I have to rely a little bit more on my resume uh, to be able to get it and word of mouth, which is, which is a big thing. So we're going to transition into a different topic right now as we're recording this. Uh, I'm not sure how times are going to change when this airs, but one of the things that a lot of people are dealing with is social distancing and quarantining thanks to the uh, COVID-19 virus. And obviously we've seen in the news that it's impacted the entertainment industry through your perspective, how has that kind of impacted production and what can people learn from that? How we could help possibly if there is any way for us to help for people who are impacted by this in the entertainment industry? Well, I think as consumers, uh, there's not a whole lot you can do, you know, in terms of what I've heard from our industry, um, you know, the writers are still writing, the producers are still planning and everyone's waiting till the pandemic is in the rearview mirror and hopefully they'll pull the trigger on a lot of things. And I'm sure by then uh, you know, people will be uh, looking forward to be able to watch new things they haven't seen before. Uh, living in Toronto at the time, in 2003, I went through SARS and in a matter of less than a week, everything shut down. You know, I was uh, a camera assistant at the time, focus puller, and I was on a, on a show and we done one scene and they came in they said okay that's it everyone go home and that was it and that I didn't work for eight and a half months um, you know and the whole thing if there's anyone in our industry that's out there that's a, a younger member in the industry is it really this shows the importance of putting money away when you're working as a freelancer um, you know when we work in film, it's a, it's a decent wage. It's a good middle-class wage. And, uh, it's very easy to, uh, well, I'd like to get a newer car or a new computer or maybe I'll get a bit more expensive apartment or take the bigger trips. And it's very important that you take a chunk of your wage, every check and you put it aside because these sort of black swan situations do occur, you know, between nine 11, um, SARS in Toronto, a writer's strike. There's, a, there's a, so many things that occur now we have COVID that uh, I think it's very important, at least for people in my industry, to consciously think about putting away what they can for the slow times. And that's great advice. Something that I think a lot of young creatives don't think about is, as freelancers, we don't think about putting money away we, we kind of just go by each day and we don't really think about that in the long game but we should because like you said these black swan things can pop up and we might not be prepared so that that's wonderful advice 
We're going to talk about something that you brought up, and honestly, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show is Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. You are the steady camera operator there. How did you become involved with Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist? Well, the I did not do the pilot. The pilot was done the year before in Vancouver, um, and the show was taken over sort of a showrunner uh, by a director named Adam Davidson, who I'd worked with before on a pilot uh, for a show called Wisdom the Crowd, which was a short-lived Jeremy Piven series. Um, and I got along really well with Adam. I really liked Adam. He had put my name in the hat. And I had a couple other jobs here in uh, the Toronto area where I live. Um, and this was to be shooting in Vancouver. And I spoke with uh, Shasta Spawn, who's the cinematographer. And she offered me the job and I looked at it and I looked at what the content was and, you know, for something about it really enticed me. So I said, sure, you know, and I packed my bags up and left family behind for a little bit. I have to say it was an extremely rewarding experience. It was really good. A huge difference between Zoe's with a lot of different other musical series is that the way that the musical numbers are shot, and which a lot of people who've done interviews on the show have spoken about, so most of them are minimal cuts and long takes. They're not very like music video style. They're very like in the moment. Can you take us behind the scenes a little bit of what that's like as the city cam operator making these kind of numbers happen? I have to say, I really enjoy that the way they're done. I'm not having it over edited and letting the songs play out of themselves. And as, as an operator, that's always enticing to know that, you know, almost if you're doing a one or a hundred percent of your work is going on the screen, it's not being intercut with other shots. I had the fortune of working with Mandy Moore, the choreographer, and she's uh, incredibly talented, incredibly, incredibly talented. And her ability to uh, think visually on top of the choreography, I was just so impressed. And being able to work with Mandy, and I told Mandy this all the time, it's like, I could finish up my career working with Mandy Moore. I, I absolutely adored working with her. She's a great human, and she's incredibly good at her job. And so we did, I think Mandy said we did roughly 60, 60 songs over the course of the season, which is a lot. And she had them all... Uh, choreographed and memorized and often multiple version memorized to try to appease uh, some of the directors. So generally for me, there was a few instances where I'd actually be able to go and see rehearsals. There's a, there's a finale number that I don't think I'm allowed to talk about yet because I don't know when it's going to air, um, where I actually had a whole day to go and spend on the set with the cast and uh, choreograph that with Mandy, which was, well, help out Mandy. Cause, uh, <laughs> and um, there's a couple other times where I could go to dance rehearsals, but generally what would happen is if Mandy could, she'd send me a rough video uh, the day before. But most of the time it would be, I'd arrive, uh, see a rehearsal and start to go through with uh, where the camera needs to go. So there's just a lot of things had to be satisfied with standing. One, one was that we didn't want, us to notice that there was a camera there you know so we didn't want to make arbitrary movements uh, a lot of times it had to be one or it also had to go with the emotion of the scene and it had to cover the story of what was happening in the song and so it was kind of figuring that out and I'd say most you know we do a rehearsal or two and then 
some dance numbers we song and dance numbers we get within four takes other times we go up to you know 12 or 13 takes just to really sort of hone in the nuances as we went but it was such a great experience because you have a lot a lot of the actors aren't trained dancers or singers as well you know say for like alex and and so they're trying to get all their bits and it's like as the actors are improving the choreography of the cameras improving and uh it was great it was a really great challenge and uh it was good to be able to do that sort of thing it was a sort of thing where you know we do these dance numbers where if you're on a regular show it'd be like if one of these dance numbers it'd be like oh my god we had this dance number on the show but on our show we shot an episode in eight days and we do you know you averaged around five to six sort of songs and, and dance numbers that we had to perform and it was good it was a great experience Speaking on that, what was the most challenging number to shoot? Because I've heard a lot of different things from the cast so far. So far from what we've seen, as we're recording this, we were at episode seven, about to be episode eight. And I think what I've seen one of the most challenging numbers was that number Mo in the club where she's singing by Lamos. Was that one of the more difficult numbers to shoot considering the fact that you had to like weave through people and focus on them while everything else is going on? Uh, that was definitely a challenge. A lot of the dancers around us were really, really helpful. Like someone, had, I think Alex Newell had posted something on Instagram earlier this week where you could actually see the dance floor during rehearsal. Um, I had my dolly grip with me, Emma McDuff, and she was an amazing help for that sort of thing because uh, she had the ability to memorize all the camera movements and the choreography and the timing of the song so she could anticipate where I was going and sort of help help push me around to make sure I'm not going to hurt anyone. But yeah, that number was a definite challenge. That took us, I think we were in nine or 10 takes on there. And uh, the big thing I really got with that one is because the whole thing is there's that house beat that's going and then there's this whole other sub song that's going. So there's two different songs going at once being able to get the timing and specifically the timing changes where you're going from slow movement to fast movement to slow movement to fast movement just to sort of keep the right feel to capture the right bits that uh, Mandy had choreographed um, for that whole dance number and it, it was good in the sense that the dancers could actually pay attention to what's going on <laughs> because if you keep in mind that you know we did that on a slightly longer lens so if you know the camera's filming people and then it's got to get all the way around them to see them on the other side you know when you watch it on your screen it looks oh the camera's just going around them but that's for me that's you know 20 feet of movement that has to happen very quickly so it's constantly going from from a walk to a run to a walk to a run to back into back out to try to get all the right timing so it's that one was cha challenging yeah but it, it was good in terms of what I thought the most challenging was, uh, I can't tell you about that one yet because it hasn't aired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to see this. I know that we have like five more episodes left at the time that we're recording this, and I just can't wait to see all the different numbers. I think Austin said that there was like 30 more numbers to go, and we we're just like, yes, we can't wait to see all the amazingness, especially the episode coming up where I, mean, I think it's called Zoe's Extraordinary Glitch, where she is the one that's breaking out into song, so I can't wait to see all of that. In the trailer for it, you know, she does Gnarl Sparkly's Crazy. Yes. Which 
uh, I'd have to say that was one of my favorite ones to do. Ooh. It was just super, super fun to do. It wasn't easy, but it was fun. And it was just doing a lot of new movements. I haven't, I haven't seen the edited, you know, it's like it was shot as a Steadicam oneer, but we also had, you know, a 50 foot crane there that day and we did some other shots. So it's, uh, I'm excited to see how it comes out. I'm excited as well. Now, before we wrap up our interview, I just want to ask you, what advice would you give people out there who might want to get into camera operating and or camera work in general? And like, what's a practical step that they can take to go from amateur to the next step? Well, it's the business has changed a lot since I've been in it. You know, when I started, it was really a lot more based on apprenticeship. Film schools have become a lot more prevalent now. But I think the biggest advice for regardless of what you want to do in the film business, because it is freelance, is let people know what you want to do. You know, uh, you know, there's some, for some reason, a lot of people, they, they have aspirations and they keep their cards really close to their chest. But if you're a hard worker and people like you and you let people know what you want to do, I think people inherently are, are kind and will want to help others that they like, you know? So if there's a, a younger person that I work with, you know, on camera system, said, well, I want to do this. I'm like, well, if you'd like to do Steadicam, let me know. And let's, let's get the Steadicam on you. Let's try some practicing and see if you actually like doing, you know? And I think my advice would be to let people know what you'd like to do and let them help you. Well, we're going to take this opportunity and we're going to pull a hot ones and you can plug whatever you want to plug. You can plug your website or where people can find you. You can plug any projects that you're on. Uh, I'm going to open up the floor to you and you can promote whatever you want to promote. Uh, well, I don't really have a whole lot to promote. You know, that's uh, everything's kind of shut down right now. But yeah, I do have a website. It's BradleyCrosby.com. Crosby spelled uh, the old way with B-I-E on the end. All one word. There's just some photos and uh, four or five-year-old reel on there. That's about that. And just the only thing I could say is uh, stay healthy, be kind to each other during this time, and wash your hands. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me, Bradley. I, I enjoyed this chat thoroughly. Okay. You're welcome. A huge thank you to Bradley for such a marvelous chat. I really enjoyed getting to learn about the role of camera operating. I never really studied the ins and outs of a camera operator before, and so it was really interesting to see what their role is like in a film setting. Thank you to Bradley, and if you want to learn more about him, visit the links in the show notes. Make sure you're following us wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and basically anywhere podcasts are streaming. Take it away, outro me. Popner Lounge is a two-man operation, rather I should say two-women operation. It is executive produced by Steph Pham and V. Co. V. Co. serves as the show's creative director, and Steph Pham is the show's host and editor. You can find us on social media at Popner Lounge. For an easy, convenient hub of everything Popner Lounge, visit our website, popnerlounge.com. That's it for this week. Tune in next time for another conversation with a fellow creative. I'm Steph Pham.